0: Hey guys, welcome back to Keep Knit OD Podcast and happy Monday. Today I have with me Dr. John Yelosakis. He's the Director of Curriculum Development and the Chair of Admissions here at Chicago College of Optometry at Midwestern University. Dr. Yelosakis joined CCO in 2018 from um, SUNY. State University of New York, where he obtained his doctor of optometry degree, completed a residency in cornea and contact lenses, and served as an assistant clinical professor from 2014 to 2018. Um, His areas of expertise include contact lens application for keratoconus, myopia control, presbyopia, pediatrics, post-surgical, as well as prosthetics. Um, Dr. Yelosakis is also an associate professor at CCO, so you'll get to see him throughout your time at CCO. if you decide to attend. Now, without further ado, let's answer all your questions about Chicago College of Optometry with Dr. Yalosaki. Thank you for um, being our guest today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So um, for those of you who are new here, um, we usually, for our Q&A episodes, break it up into three different sections. So the first segment is going to be admission-related type questions, um, and then the second segment is going to be about the OD program itself, and then we dedicate the last few questions to the questions that you guys sent in so that um, we can get them answered for you. So the first question we have here is just a very straightforward question, and that is, what makes an applicant competitive for your program?
1: really we want to see that someone's passionate for optometry and initially we're only going to get that from one's application so we'll see that in the personal statement we'll see that in letters of recommendation but other stuff that we'll see in the application obviously are going to be grades and we'll see standardized exam scores and that's only one aspect of the application so I always like to say that it's definitely a holistic review So if you had a little downfall here or there, but we can kind of supplement and explain why, I think that's really the most important part is why, then again, holistically, you still will be considered a great applicant, especially if you have that passion, which will definitely come through uh, during the interview.
0: Awesome. So um, I know some programs have, um, you know, some systems where, you know, if your GPA falls below a certain um, threshold, your application won't get processed at all. Is that the case at CCO?
1: Correct. So we're under the Midwest University umbrella. So over our two campuses, we're very similar in that. And so if your science GPA or your overall cumulative GPA is below a 2.75, then it won't um, hit to the admissions department.
0: Got it. Awesome. So, um, generally speaking, you know, we touched a little bit about the standardized test portion of the application that is definitely a big part of the application. Um, so generally speaking, if COVID was no longer an issue, can you still get an interview without taking a standardized exam, whether that being the OATS or, um, any of the other exams?
1: So I guess to kind of go with what you said at the end about the other exams, we do take not only just the OET, but we do also take the MCAT medical, the PCAT pharmacy, the DAT, the dental and the GRE. Um, we do want to see one of those exam scores as part of the application in order to even get that interview out. Does that mean you might have it scheduled to retake it? Absolutely, that's fine. Well, we would want to see kind of like a complete application. And we haven't seen too many issues where um, people have been delayed with the OAT. However, you know, if we start to enter the issue again, as it did maybe back in March of 2020 during the first onset and things started shutting down, you know, we we sure we made some exceptions to that rule. But typically, we like to see a standardized exam score with the application to uh, start the interview process.
0: Awesome. Um, Now, let me just give you the scenario because I had someone reach out to me and ask me this question. Um, Do you um, encourage the applicant to, we obviously, you know, it's a rolling admissions, so you do want them to apply as soon as possible. If they have an OET date planned, should they still um, submit the application or should they wait until they have taken the exam?
1: It's always good to get your application you know, sent in as soon as possible for the rolling admissions purpose. Now, if it's still missing the exam score, the admissions team here will flag your application. So as soon as you receive it and you can submit those scores, it'll be reviewed right away. So I would still encourage those applicants to apply. And in the section where the OAT is listed, there usually is a section that says, you know, when is the date that you'll be taking it? Cause then that's the, applic- uh, the admissions committee will flag that date.
0: Awesome, great. Now, so after you've gone through, you know, you submitted your application and your the committee saw your application wants to invite you for an interview. Um, how is the interview date structured and do you plan on holding it in person or over Zoom for this cycle?
1: So this upcoming cycle, we are hosting uh, in person and a few virtual sessions as well. So the way that the interview day is structured is for the live portion, at least, Uh, everyone comes in, and one at a time, they'll be interviewed with two faculty members in a closed file setting. So um, all they have in front of them really is your name, and they're really just trying to get to know you, and perhaps maybe some more reflecting questions. Um, And that's, again, about 20 minutes or so. But once everyone is interviewed, Um, Then they kind of continue on with the day where you get to hear from our dean who talks more about CCO, you get to have lunch with the students, and there are also tours of both the campus and the clinic. So while you're not being interviewed, there is opportunities to also hang out with the student and they give you some small tours of the optometry building since that's the closest area to the interview room. Um, So we try to keep you busy. It's not like you're hanging out um, really quiet downtime. Um, So you'll be there pretty much from eight in the morning till about two in the afternoon. And the Zoom portion of it is a little bit different. It's a little bit faster, um, but we try to take everything that we would have done live into a condensed setting to make sure you get to see everything. If it's virtual tours of the clinic, virtual tours of the campus, and still getting to talk with the current students that is condensed to about 8 or 8.30 AM to about noon. Um, So we do plan on hosting both. We've already started the applications and uh, the interview process. Um, It's actually been really exciting seeing people in person again, but we understand that there's gonna be some people who won't be able to travel.
0: Awesome, now for those who choose the in-person option, um, what are some protocols that you guys put in place um, just to kind of limit the exposure and spread? Do you um, require testing or screening or anything of some sort um, for yeah. those? Who,
1: uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, anytime any guest comes onto the campus, uh, we will have a screening protocol that they have to, a questionnaire that they're gonna have to answer the day of, um, pretty much, has uh, standard COVID questions about any signs and symptoms and fevers uh, and you know any exposures. So all of those protocols have to be uh, in place for like I said all guests. So once you come onto campus you would have received like a green check mark that you would have shown security that would let you to go to the building.
0: Awesome. Um, now you did mention that the interview at CCO is a closed file interview. Now I don't know about everyone else, but I know for me, like, I, you know, I struggled with having that, like, long lasting impression on my interviewers, Mm -hmm. in the event that it's not, you know, they're not looking at your academics, so you can't really, you know, rely on that to impress them. So um, what are your tips um, to leave a lasting, good, hopefully, impression on your interviewers? Um, In this case, on a closed file interview, um, they have no idea what you've done academically. um, So how would you approach that interview?
1: Absolutely. I think you need to um, just be constantly talking. And this is what I mean by that. If, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm giving any away for any optometry school. Probably one of the first questions that comes their way is, you know, why optometry, right? Um, and pro, pretty much like why their school. So it's really a blanket statement that can allow someone to start this conversation and you can pour out a lot of information that could take, you know, quite some time. Um, and it's usually afterwards that an interviewer might come up with some follow-up questions. And in a closed file question, it could be more on the lines of reflecting questions. So, you know, if your transcript was to appear right now, you know, would we think that, would you think that that's a good uh, representation of your academic abilities? Um, You know, if we were to look at your OAT score, you know, same question. So the candidate doesn't have to disclose if they don't want to, obviously, but it's more of just yes or no, because what ends up happening is after the interview, your file does become open. So this is an opportunity now to be, you know, as an interviewer to say wow, this candidate could really self-reflect. Yes, they did say how they struggled in their academics and on their transcript they said they did not so well in the second year but they learned new habits, they turned it around and that's what it showed. So I think honesty is obviously a big thing and then reflecting well and if it ever gets to a a situation where you feel like the candidates are asking or the interviewers are asking questions and the and all you're saying is like a one or two word response, and then it's quiet. And then you know the interviewer is looking for another question to ask. That's something that um, could be, you know, well, what's going on here communication wise? Can somebody keep a conversation going? Um, this is our opportunity to gauge how you will communicate with your future patients and your faculty and staff. So I think that is how you can really make a an impact and be remembered is that interviewer being like, wow, yeah, this person had this story. And they shared that with the rest of the faculty later when your file is open.
0: Great, awesome. Um, Those are some really great tips. Um, Now, the interview in and of itself is an exciting day. But then what comes after that can get a little bit nerve wracking, especially if you're waiting to hear back from a few schools. Um, So can you briefly kind of go over, what should the applicant expect after they've completed um, the interview at CCO?
1: Yeah, at the end of the day, usually there's some kind of wrap up where one of our admissions staff will kind of say, you know, what are you gonna expect over the next few days? And typically the admissions committee members will meet soon thereafter, if not the same day or the next day to discuss all the files and decisions are usually made within that day or two. So our our staff in the admissions office will call the applicants probably within the day or two to inform them of the decision. They'll also get notified via mail, um, but obviously that takes a little bit longer to get to the candidates. So it is a quick turnaround. And if there is any delay that's anticipated, um, that would usually be communicated with the candidates the day that they're interviewing. You know, they might say something along the lines that, you know, their faculty committee members are not gonna be meeting for a few days. So we'll get back to you by the end of the week. So they'll learn that day about when they'll find out. And it's usually within 24 to 48 hours.
0: Awesome. Now you mentioned that you, you know, will get a notification if you were admitted or um, chosen to, you know, um, attend CCO. Will you also be notified if you know that was not the case, if you were put on a wait list or anything like that, or does that take a little bit longer?
1: Correct, you'll also be notified within that time period about being placed on a wait list or if you were denied. And with the alternate list, it usually has something uh, additional information about how to strengthen the application, maybe if the committee is waiting to see maybe uh, an exam score, an updated exam score maybe course performance over the fall or spring semesters or quarters. So usually they will provide some information of how to strengthen your spot on the alternate list because the alternate list isn't ranked. It is reevaluated every few weeks. And as far as a denial, um, they usually kind of suggest ways to strengthen the application for consideration in the future if that's something to enroll in more coursework, upper level coursework or to retake an exam, et cetera.
0: Awesome, great. So these are all the questions that are admission related. Um, Now we're gonna go ahead and tackle some questions about the program. Um, So again, the first question we have is just an overarching question. Um, which is give us a brief overview of the program curriculum. So that's, um, you know, how many years of didactic work, um, how many lab hours, um, clinical training, etc. What should you expect in the four years that you're at CCO?
1: Great. Well, everyone's taking pre and that's helping them prepare for some of the basic science courses that they're going to take while they're in their first years of the program. So here at Midwestern, it is a uh, interdisciplinary environment, there's a lot of different programs. So you will be taking some basic science coursework, especially with some of these other programs. And as far as the basic science coursework goes, um, that's primarily in year one with a few more in year two, but it's really building upon the undergraduate work. And as far as the uh, other classes that you're taking, Those are geared obviously towards optometry. So you'll take the ocular anatomies, you'll take the optics, you'll take clinical optometry, which is learning all about optometry and also the methods that go with it and learning how to perform all the skills. And that will go through the entire um, quarter uh, while you're here. So we're on a quarter system. So that means we have fall, winter, and spring quarters as opposed to a fall and spring semester. So instead of those two 16-week semesters, we have three 10-week quarters. So I think the, the biggest uh, or a great analogy to, re, uh, to think of this is in an undergrad, um, if somebody were taking general chemistry, they would usually take Gen Chem 1 and 2. But in an undergrad quarter system, they would take Gen Chem 1, 2, and 3. Same material, just broken off a little bit differently. And so you'd spend your time on these 10 week quarters, wrap it up with exams and then move on to the next after you receive a grade for the first one. And what students really appreciate is that kind of compartmentalization and also getting those breaks in between. So you're taking basic science, you're taking optometry courses year one, as far as clinic goes, um, you're more observing as a first year student at our clinic, but really getting involved with the community and doing vision screenings uh, as a first year student. Then as we progress um, to your second year, you do get that summer off between first and second year. So then you come back as a fall second year and you're finishing some basic sciences, but really now diving into really core optometry and what comes with it with our eyes working as a team and all the diseases, et cetera. So you're learning more skills as well, which is really exciting. It's now more back of the eye um, findings and um, techniques. So at the conclusion of your second year, you would have finished all the basic sciences. You would have finished all the core optometry courses and you're ready now to see your first patients. Cause in second year, while you're going through second year, at the clinic, you're taking more of a scribe role, you know a lot more, you're learning of the, um, the electronic health record systems that we use, but you could be called upon to do some parts of the exam because you know more. But it's really at the end of the second year where you can start to do your first eye exam. And that's always a, a great opportunity to see and everything that you've learned and really put it together. Um, usually takes you quite some time to get through your first patient. So, that will happen at the very end of second year. And then now we're going to end to third year. And you go right away into third year over that summer. And you're spending pretty much half your time in the clinic and half the time finishing some of your optometry coursework. And it's a little bit more advanced optometry coursework. And while you're in the clinic, that day and a half a week or so you are in the primary care clinics while also rotating through various specialties throughout the year. And the idea behind that is we want all the students to kind of get exposure to all the specialties while they're here at CCO and to help you prepare for your rotations in fourth year which are going to give you more exposure to the various specialties. So that'll kind of go throughout third year is pretty much half your time in the clinic and half your time finishing coursework. Fourth year is a pure
0: clinical
1: year with four different rotations at four different sites.
0: Awesome, so for um, third year, you said that students get to rotate within um, the clinics on campus. Now, did they get to choose um, which clinics they wanna be um, during the week or, is that, or did they have to rotate through every single one?
1: The goal is for a rotation through all the specialties, because that's really where you're learning um, or really applying everything you've learned and for you to get exposure to all the specialties to see what you like and what maybe you don't like. Um, and that helps you also make some of your kind of decisions down the line of how you can see yourself practicing. But as a, a student, you know you wanna know all the different specialties that exist and you know, how to appropriately refer um, down the line.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the last question about fourth year, um, do you know off the top of your head, um, where are students um, able to rotate um, in what locations and roughly how many?
1: Yeah, so we have external sites across the United States, so coast to coast. Uh, we do have four rotations. One of those rotations is actually internal, so that's with our own clinic. And that's where they'll get to spend most of the time just doing the specialty clinics as opposed to the primary care clinics like they did in third year. The other three sites they are selecting based on making sure they have one that's really strong in ocular disease. And that's usually like a hospital or a VA setting. Um, And those other two sites are a little bit more unique towards a specialty.
0: And do they get to choose, so, the first one is at, on campus, so that they don't, they don't have a choice in that one. They have to do this one.
1: Correct, so it doesn't have to be the very first one either. It's just one of those four uh, rotations. So we call them summer, fall, winter, spring, is gonna be internal. So they will get to decide that first in their third year when they're gonna be doing their internal. And then once they decided that, then they get to choose their external sites. And the way we do that, it's not based on grades or GPA or rank system where maybe like the number one in the class gets all their sites and then the number two gets their sites because we want every student to have a fair advantage to have the sites that they would want. So we have each student fill out um, forms that say, you know, in this quarter, I want, these are my sites in this order. And then they do that for each quarter. And then it kind of gets entered into a system that's almost like a, a match day system for residents where it does like a a pairing. And that's how the students find out where sites that they will be at. And they usually get, usually their top two sites, if not then their third site.
0: Awesome. Um, So we talked a lot about the curriculum. Now the second um, must ask question that I um, get, and I wondered about the same thing too with every school that I apply to, which is what is the cost of attendance and does that include the required equipment? And if not, what is the cost of the required equipment, at least for the first year? Yeah,
1: um, so our cost, uh, the tuition, obviously is subject to change year to year, but currently it's around 44000 And that is for in-state, out-of-state, international, there's no difference there. And for the first year, that does not include the equipment kit, so in your first year only, there's an additional charge of around 4000 but that includes the equipment that you would need for, you know, the entire first year. Um, and then we are in a quarter system, so tuition is paid um, quarterly, so it's not all up front. Awesome.
0: Um, so the next question, um, this could just kind of be, you know, very broad or you know, just talking about tutoring or student rec or anything like that. Um, And that is, what are some of the resources that are made available for students? So that could be academically, um, you know, recreational, anything like that.
1: Sure, Um, well, from academics, if students are struggling and we pick that up really early on throughout the quarter, um, if there's a failure in any type of, you know, single exams, um, we wanna make sure that that's not a repeat pattern And is there something that we could do to help kind of turn it around right there and then within the quarter? So we actually are lucky enough that on our campus, we have a kind of learning center and we're able to make referrals with some of the learning specialists to kind of help target, you know, what do we think is going on? Is it just the style of learning and studying and the recall and how they're doing on exams? You know, can we try something different? So we have a a specialist that first tries to tackle it, but then we also have tutoring that's available. And the way tutoring works, um, it's available for all students, but if they're an academic struggle, um, they could elect for a tutor. And these tutors are selected by the faculty. So students that have done well, and they can get one-on-one tutoring. And if there's enough demand, we can even set up some group tutoring sessions throughout the week. Um, and we'll kind of watch the students as they continue to progress. Clinically, some similar things happen too. If we start to see that students are falling behind a little bit clinically, uh, we can set up some remediation sessions. So we can have some one-on-one faculty time so that they can make sure to help kind of clear up any issues that might be happening in the clinic. Um, Other resources, obviously, students have each other. They have a lot of their other classmates that are on the campus and other programs. They um, are also having uh, de-stressing activities. You know, we have like our wellness center that sets up opportunities for students to de-stress and they do arts and crafts, or if it's just even going to the gym and they hold different sessions like Pilates and yoga, et cetera.
0: Awesome. Um, my next question just kind of goes in hand in hand with that. Um, so are all these resources currently available for students now, or have any of these been impacted by COVID?
1: Um, if anything with COVID, it might've turned a lot on them virtually, but they were still present. So none of the services were kind of discontinued because of COVID, but our campus has kind of resumed normal operations over the summer, we all are back in person. So we are still meeting, um, know or you know meeting with these students and help offering these services in person.
0: All right that's great. Um, The next question um, is what are some ways that your students are involved on campus when they're not studying?
1: Yeah uh, at Midwestern we have uh, a lot of clubs that are for any Midwestern students so that means they can be in any program Um, And those can be like cultural clubs uh, or anything like that. But then we also within optometry have a lot of clubs and those can be to the various specialties like the contact lens club or the vision therapy club. Um, And what we do with a lot of those clubs is bring in external speakers so that students can kind of network early on and hear from others. Um, As far as the, there are certain organizations that also give backs. one of them is SBOSH. And, you know, they do a lot of fundraising to then be able to travel overseas to very and do mission trips and give back to the communities overseas. But we don't forget about our communities locally nearby. So we do work with a lot of local organizations, those who are in need um, to be able to provide vision screening events. And we also set up a lot of services where those people who are identified are able to get into our clinic. Um, You know, a lot of them don't have insurances or, you know, the costs to get the care, but we have these funds available for them to do so.
0: Great. Um, And are these clubs um, still holding in-person meetings or um, has that not been established yet?
1: So we were virtual with those as well, but now we are, um, allowing guests externally. So the clubs, you know, as we ramp up this fall quarter, when everyone comes back are going to be allowed to do live events again.
0: Great. Um, so we're gonna, you know, ask the not very fun questions, um, which are you know national boards. Those are exams that um, students have to take at the end of their um, third year, if I'm not mistaken. And you know those can be very nerve wracking. Um, so, is it or any um, courses or anything that you do to prepare your students for national boards?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, part one of national boards is in the spring of third year, and then parts two and three are in the fourth year, and you know, starting with year one, we want to make sure that students, you know, are understanding that a lot of the stuff that they're going through in year one with the basic sciences, they might not seem like it's that fun, right? They just want to focus on the optometry stuff, but those aren't very important. So when students return back from the first year, we try to try to do a little recall exam and kind of set up services to kind of help those students who are identified as perhaps having poor recall. And we continue doing some of those recall exams at the end of each year. So at the uh, end of year two, as they become into third years, we'll do another exam like that. And we try to continuously give students feedback so they can see of areas that need to improve. As far as the third year goes, because that's the year that they're gonna be taking the first part, um, we do have set up that in the winter quarter, so that's like the December to February months because boards are in March, We do have um, an optional elective that most students do like to choose and take because we have our own faculty, both in the basic science departments, as well as the optometry departments, give weekly reviews in their core areas and really give practice questions because that's what students want to see more and more of is getting ready to see questions that are like the national boards. Um, That's for just part one, but we also have specific courses Um, that help for, let's say, part two in the fourth year, because part two is all about analyzing cases and answering questions based on how the patients present and their signs and symptoms. So we have an entire course that is now given right after part one is taken. So in the spring um, quarter, after part one is done, there is a course that helps them. It's one of their last courses they take that is really for part two. And part three is the clinical skills exam. And there are some changes are going to be happening with that part three exam down the line. But the way that the part three exam is currently um, written up as is students fly to North Carolina and they demonstrate their clinical skills on standardized patients. So what we do from year one through year three is all of the exams that assess students skills, we do it in the fashion that national boards would. So really, um, frames the student to understand that structure and by the time they get to boards in you know part three of boards and fourth year it's just natural for them to do and say the way that the boards wants it.
0: Awesome um, so what are the um, what is the estimated number of patients um, that students typically get to see by the time they graduate?
1: Yeah so um, in your th- third year, you're starting to see more patients, obviously. Then, you know, the end of the second year, you're just seeing like a few to get you started. And then in fourth year, it's probably we're going to get your bulk of your patient encounters as you go through different rotations, as you're spending your Monday through Friday day to day. It really depends on probably the rotations that you get and um, which one's a little bit more heavier and faster pace. But on average, at the end of the entire program, Um, we see students are usually around the 14 to 1,500 patient mark.
0: Awesome. Um, So we're going to end here um, by just asking a fun question. So for those who do not live near Downers Grove or in Illinois, um, can you just tell us a little bit more about what is the social scene like in Downers Grove?
1: Yeah. So Downers Grove is actually a pretty big suburb outside of Chicago. And it is without traffic. You can probably get downtown in 25 to 30 minutes. Realistically, with some traffic, you're probably looking at more like 45, 50 minutes. And Downers Grove itself um, has areas around that are just like really populated, like uh, with malls that are really nice malls and a lot of shopping centers. But what's uh, really nice with all of the Western suburbs is each town has like their own little downtown And that's like a little bit more historical. So then you can go find the small shops, the ice cream joints, you know, restaurant scenes all along a a train station, um, which we do have a train that I can actually get you downtown and some of them are express trains too. So you can get downtown within 30 minutes or so. So you have the luxury of the suburbia feel where um, you can kind of go to some mom and pop shops or go to some just shopping but then if you ever wanted to go into a bigger city like downtown Chicago, you could always do so as well.
0: Awesome. What are some of your favorite things to do in Downers Grove?
1: Yeah, so I think it I'm a big foodie. So I love the restaurant scenes. And all of the western suburbs that kind of line along the uh the train track really have some great food scenes. And I think that's what our students really like too. Um, I live in one of the cities here in the western suburbs near Downers Grove, and sometimes I just run into students in my own neighborhood because they're exploring the different restaurants over there.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with exploring new food options because uh, there's never enough. (laughs) Um, so we are done with all the questions that I prepared for you, um, but we do have a few questions that listeners have sent in, um, and I'm going to go ahead and read them to you now. So the first question that we got was, do you have a preference when it comes to undergrad majors?
1: No, and I think the common misconception is that they have to be like a bio major, which if you look at kind of the OptumCast aggregate data at the end of the year, I think most you know, students end up being bio majors. But really, all you have to make sure is that you get your prerequisites done. So you can major in anything you like. And I think that's what makes people diverse in their application actually is if they are not a bio major. I'm not saying being a bio major is bad. I'm just saying that, you know, if you had something that was different, um, maybe it was more business or English, math, something that was totally unique. Um, it just gives you a little bit of a different um, I guess I want to say advantage, it makes you different and stand out.
0: All right, yeah. Um, Do you have um, a preference if it's a bachelor's of arts or bachelor's of science or does that also?
1: No, we do not have a preference. Um, It just, we do require one to uh, matriculate. So if you're applying, doesn't mean you have to have graduated already. You just have to be on track to graduate before the first day of classes in optometry school. Awesome.
0: Okay. Um, The second question, I think we answered a portion of it earlier, um, and it asks, do you accept international students? If so, is there a tuition increase?
1: So, yes, we do accept it, and no, there is not a tuition increase.
0: Great. Um, So, the third question, um, I think this is more of like a personal question. So, it says, I do not have any working experience, but I shadowed a bunch. Does that put me at a disadvantage?
1: It does not. If anything, what we want from um, understanding optometry is to be able to just shadow, and some people choose to work, which is great, and they get that experience as well. But to help supplement your application, really, it's just understanding what optometry is. And my word of advice too is, shadowing is great, but shadowing multiple different uh, like doctors who have different specialties or perhaps they have different practice modalities. So maybe you shadowed a doctor who was in a private practice, then you shadowed a doctor who was in a hospital. Um, Just seeing all the different specialties or the modes of practice really can make you more well-versed in what optometry is, and that usually shows itself during the rest of the application and or interview.
0: Awesome. Um, So this is the last question that we have, and it asks, what are some good questions to ask your interviewers when they ask you if you have any questions?
1: So it's always great to just have some kind of question to ask. Really, you want to gear it probably towards either the program or the interviewers themselves. So, you know, if it's something along the lines of why did you choose to do optometry or why did you choose to work at your school? Um, all of those are great and it can continue the conversation going back and forth. I think that's the big thing is you want these conversations to go back and forth during your interview. So if you have some questions prepared, it makes the interviewers be like, wow, they definitely did their research and now are ready to ask the right questions. You also don't want to ask like the most simple questions of like, um, you know, does your school have rotations, right? That shows then that there probably wasn't a lot of good research done beforehand.
0: Great. All right. Well, Dr. Yalasaki, these are all the questions that I had prepared for you. Again, thank you so much for your time um, to share about CCO with our listeners.
1: Thanks for having me again, and good luck, everyone, as you apply.
0: So that is all I have for you guys this week. I hope you enjoyed listening and found it helpful. We are very close to have interviewed every single optometry school in the US. So stay tuned, Um, I'm definitely gonna try to hit that goal by the end of this cycle. So if you are looking for a specific school that I haven't interviewed yet, just bear with me. Um, I will be interviewing them here in the near future. And I will also be um, recording more personal content um, about my experience going going through optometry school, so definitely send me some suggestions. Um, I receive really great ones, so I will be um, recording those here in the near future. And if you want to keep up with all of that, make sure to follow the podcast Instagram at keepin.it.od. And if you have any questions or want to collaborate, my email is podcast, all one word, at hotmail.com. Make sure to put collab in these subject lines so it doesn't get lost in my inbox. And that is all I have for you. I will see you right here next week with a brand new episode. And as always, we'll be keeping it od. Thank you, guys.